4, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. And if I could have you guys stand for the reading of God's word. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Thank you. You may. Um, yeah, what a, a great year. I mean, really, to be able to celebrate Christmas on Sunday. Um, to then, rec- we recognize that every, I've had to teach this to my children and my, remind myself, like in our culture, the end of the weekend is Sunday. Right? That's just how our culture thinks. But in a Christian perspective, the first day of the week is Sunday. It is the day which the Lord rose from the dead, but then it also is the first fruits of those who hope in Christ. And so Christians have historically gathered like we do today to give God our first. And I think it's fitting, and occasionally we remember that Christmas happens sometimes on a, on a Sunday. I think the next occurrence is 11 years away. And then today, the first fruits of the new year are on Sunday. On the same day, we recognize the new beginnings for those who hope in Christ. And I don't know of a better way to start 2023, but joining in with you in worship, but then also to get reflect around God's word together as we consider the year ahead of us. Now, we'll be jumping in next week to Genesis. But when it comes to the mindset of the future as a Christian, I just want, I'm, I'm going to talk about things that I think that we already can acknowledge, already know. I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of these things. But we're Christians. And by that, we know that there is a God. And in that we know that the future is unknown, the one we hope in has established its future. And because we know the one who's established it, we can rest in him. One of the most challenging and probably one of the most convicting times in my life was in probably around 2006, 2007. You ask my wife, What is the one thing that frustrates Jacob? It's a changed plan. I am a routine man. I schedule everything. I will even, if I have the opportunity, schedule the interruption. So that I can prioritize it in the right place and be prepared for its occurrence. And I had a plan for how God was going to use my wife and I in our lives. And God changed it. In 2006. When we dated, and you know this, I was never going to go to seminary. Seminary makes theologians. Theologians that are disconnected from reality. And so I was hesitant to even consider it. But then the Lord intervened, interrupted, and redirected. 
We solve everything. And I don't know what it is about interruptions or even the idea of when we look into the future, but you could be thinking you know what you're going to be doing this next year. And all of a sudden, God takes your life and shakes it up and says, no, I want you to go here. And I think it is fitting just to take a moment looking forward to the year ahead of us. We're Christians. And because we're Christians, we believe in a God that has sovereignty over our lives. We don't start our perspective of 2023 with today or tomorrow we'll go and do such and such. There's a subject to our sentence. And that it, if the Lord wills, we will go to such and such a place. This is how we think. It's strange. We read in the scriptures about a God who will intervene or interrupt or redirect an individual's life and shake it up and redirect it. Abraham. The Lord appeared before him in Genesis 12.1. We remember this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Talk about a moment where God totally redirected Abraham's life. Moses. Moses was probably content. He was married, had a place to live, and a job. And outside of the oppression of Egypt, he's probably content to live out the remainder of his life there. But in a moment, as he was out tending the flocks, Exodus 3.10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Not only is this God that we recognize have the authority to shake up people's lives, Jesus, when God incarnated himself amongst humanity, was known for doing such the same. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, I know, I am telling things that you know are familiar, but when it happens to you, you know what it's like to be shaked up and redirected, and the foundations of your life feel less secure. Talk about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're going to leave family, a job, a location to follow this one who is called Christ the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus appearing before them as they're out on the waters fishing, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And astoundingly, Verse 20, they had a category in their mind that God has sovereignty over their life and that when he calls, his people ought to immediately follow. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. God does this with the people who know who God is, but then he also does this with the people who do not know who God is. Remember, Saul, on his own way and on his own path, Going out to actually go contrary to the plans of God, God intervened, he interrupted, and he redirected Saul's life entirely. Acts 9.3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. He is the individual who will say, today I will go to such and such a place to do such and such a thing. 
Now he was on his way and he approached Damascus, Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. And you know, and you're familiar, that that moment, that intervention of God totally redirected the rest of Paul's days. It's an interesting as we look back through the scriptures, we read about people having their lives totally changed, their futures totally redirected in directions they did not anticipate, and somehow we assume that God will never do that with us. And all I'd like to do is to remind you of the perspective that we ought to have as a people that in the moment, if God says, no, this way, that we would be the people already prepared to go. I understand that there are some of you who have plans, like I do, that schedules everything for next year. And I understand that some of you have a plan and trying to figure out what you're going to do after high school or after college. Some of you have a plan after working in the last 8 or 15 years at the same job, have a plan. Maybe that plan is just going on as usual. Some of you are trying to figure out, God, where you want me. And I would pray that we would be the people that could really hold on to verse 15. If the Lord wills. Because James uses... Several words here in which I believe was common, a common perspective and in his age, which remains to this present age. There is a perspective which looks towards the future, which is rooted in arrogance and which James calls is evil. And so all I like to do is remind you of what that perspective is. I'd like to reflect on someone who walked in it, would be our point two. And point three, because it's the new year, we're all going to make new goals, convict our hearts about the future set before us. There is an arrogant perspective that you can look forward as you look into 2023. And James pinpoints it in verse 13. Come now. You who say, general statement, People consider it this for themselves, at least think this way. Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Someone might, like myself, think at first glance there might not be anything wrong with this perspective. And to be fair, it is wise to make decisions concerning the future which can allow you to provide for your family. As parents, this is a responsibility that God has enabled us to walk and be concerned about. In fact, at the root of it, it could be sincere in how one considers making decisions for their families. And we often think this way. You ask the college student as they're coming out of school, what are you going to do? The same common statement that was said in James' day is said to this day, I have finished college and now I'm going to such and such a place to go make a profit. The high schooler in the same regard, 
or the person who has the same plan as last year. I will go to the such and such a place and I will go to do that so as to make a profit. What is James' problem with this? It's godless. Verse 14. Who do you think you are? Well, no, that's not what he says. But he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The concept of saying, tomorrow I will go do such and such and spend a year there and do such and such to make a profit. The problem with it is not its ambition, but its godlessness that assumes that you have the authority to dictate what's going to happen in the near future. Which that authority only rests within the position of the Godhead. Who knows it and has already established it. So who do you think you are? that You are going to tell God what's going to happen tomorrow. My grandpa, who is now long past, who is with the Lord, would often say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what you will do tomorrow. And he's right. And I'd like to remind you who this God is. He was here before you were. Sure hope so. (laughs) That's the very definition of who God is. And as the scriptures teach, Psalm 90 verse 2. Even before the the mountains were brought forth, or even had formed the earth and the world, from an everlasting to an everlasting, you are God. There was never a time when God didn't exist. He's always been in existence and has controlled everything that is in existence. Jeremiah 10, 10. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Consider with me Revelation, one of the last final Words written within the scriptures, Revelation twenty two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And what he means when he says this, he is not the God in the middle. He's the God who starts the beginning and finishes its end. He is the God which is before and the God who is after. He is not the God between the A and the Z. So who do you think you are that you can dictate what you're going to do tomorrow? The problem isn't making plans. The problem is making plans without God in mind. They're godless. And throughout the scriptures, we're even reminded that like, This is so interesting. Humanity, after we do some things, we find ourselves just boasting of our strength. Look what these hands can do. We have to read the scriptures to remind ourselves there is someone that is behind all of this and is involved within his creation and in the lives of humanity. Psalms 139.16. Now I know I'm telling you things you remember, but remember these things so you understand how we look into the future. He knew you before you were here. Or before you were you. Psalm 139.16. You saw. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. He knows why you're here in this generation, and he knows the last day in which you will be here. One last one. Deuteronomy 32, 39. This one troubles some. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God besides me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. He's in control. He's controlled. Like, I have to remind myself, why do I live in 2023? I didn't bring myself into being in 2023. God put me here. And if there's any future for me in 2023, it's not because somehow I have willed it, but rather because God has allowed it. And so James' problem isn't that people make plans. His problem is that they would make plans and keep the God who's brought them into existence out of the scenario and out of the perspective of how they're considering their future. That's arrogant. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The amazing grace of God is this, that even when a man thinks about his future and keeps God out of it, that God still will allow that man to walk some of it. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And so we live in a culture, historically it was familiar to James and still familiar to our present realities, that even though we know God is in existence and has brought us into being, and is sovereign over all things, we exchange that knowledge to think that we ourselves do not need to make thought of him as we consider the future. James' problem is, that's evil. That's godless. That's arrogant. He says it three times in these several verses. Now read them now so you see it clearly. 13, as I've said it already, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Like verse 14, my grandpa, my other grandpa, he's, they, my grandparents both showed up today. My grandpa would always look at us and go, it goes fast. The time in which you think you have, it just over. And as a child, like, Grandpa, like, now, the days are so long, naps are so long. I don't know why my mind went there, because I, timeouts are so long. But my grandpa is right. As I've grown to be older, it does sure go fast. And there's this arrogance that's in the youth, that as one grows older, he realizes his days are now numbered. But James hints at the obvious. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Sadly, I can remember who my grandparents are and vaguely remember who my great-grandparents are, but I have no idea of their parents. And that's how quick it can go. And the memories of what we say of our family are important have no memory in our own minds. Who do you think you are? What is your life? You are a mist. Verse 16. As it is, as you consider the future, you boast in your arrogance. And such boasting is evil. There is a perspective which looks towards the future, which is arrogant. Which assumes, if I do A plus B, I will get C. James says, you got it all wrong. That's godless. I just want to give you point two. We'll get to verse 15 in a second. But I just want to consider Belshazzar. And some of you may remember who he is. He's in your Old Testament. But here's a man who actually gone to live a life and witness the arrogance found in his father. And he got to see and witness it firsthand how God intervened, interrupted, and redirected Nebuchadnezzar's plans in life. And he had been, so to speak, forewarned in watching um, his father Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance perspective. And yet he did not heed the instruction given to him. So I want to go through and look at Belshazzar. And then reflect for ourselves, because we ourselves get to look at Belshazzar, and we also get to look at James to to bury this thought in our minds. Looking forward without God is godless. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful king in all the world, Babylon. And it so happened, on one day, there's peace in the land, and he's walking along his palace. And this is what he thinks. Or says, Daniel 4, verse 30. And he says, The king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? I sought out to establish a kingdom to reveal my power and my glory and look at what these hands have finally made. James would say, who do you think you are? You are a mist. And God in this moment intervenes, redirects, and replans Nebuchadnezzar's next days. If you're familiar with the story, Belshazzar gets to see what happens to his father, who happens to be the most powerful man in the world. And as he thinks this, look what the Lord says. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. As the Lord speaks to him. 
And your dwelling shall now be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. And until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. Nebuchadnezzar walking on his palace one day. Look what these hands have made. I have brought me to this position of glory. And as the words were on his mouth, the God of heaven says, it was me. That brought you to where you are and you have considered your achievements with godlessness. So let me plan out the next seven years of your life for you. And the most powerful man in the world is brought to his knees and made to eat like a beast. Now, you're Belshazzar, and you're witnessing this. You have come to know who the true God of the whole world is. Because to bring emperors to their knees has to have some sovereignty in doing so to humble such a man. In fact, as Belshazzar watches his father walk like a beast and eat like a beast for seven years, at the end of the days, he sees his father come to be upright. And you don't have these words on the screen for you. But Nebuchadnezzar, in his humility, changes his voice and he says, I bless the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures generation to generation. He's realized, I have put my confidence in the wrong place. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. It's gone. He does nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stray his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar is humbled as a man and brought to God who has brought him to him by humbling him. Belshazzar, just as I and just as you and I, with James or even witnessing here in Daniel sees all this in Nebuchadnezzar's life, his father. The question would be, does he heed that teaching? Belshazzar doesn't. In fact, the moment in which Nebuchadnezzar is moved from his position as king and passes on, King Belshazzar creates a feast. And not discerning the God of Israel Rather, he took the vessels of gold that were in the temple to honor God and brought the vessels to his party. And they ate and they drank. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 5 and the scene is depicted there for you to see. Starting in verse 4. As he brings all the the lords of the lands in verse 4. They drank wine and they offered up these vessels and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I don't know if it's appropriate to say it, but they started praising their prophets. 
the resources. And in that moment, Belshazzar, who got to witness the sovereignty of God over his father's life, gets to see the sovereignty of God played out in his life. Look at verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. (laughs) Verse 6. Then the king's color changed. Uh Uh-oh. The divine hand of the Lord has now been seen and he has been reminded of his godless pursuits. He's seen this divine work in his father's life and now fears it for his own. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. (laughs) Don't make me crawl on my knees for seven years like a beast. That's probably what's going on in his mind. Maybe. Verse 7. The king called out loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed and his color changed. A roller coaster of an event for him and his lords were perplexed. Belshazzar is familiar with the sovereignty of God, which was witnessed and displayed in his father's life. And when he sees it for himself, he has no way to discern what's happening. But he's reminded of God's presence. Wife steps in. What about Daniel? <laughs> he has been known to help your father out. Why don't you call him and bring him into assistance in this situation? And as we turn there, I want you to think of James and how you think about the future. And all I'm trying to stress here is whatever your actions are in the present or even the near future. If not done with the view of God in mind, they become godless. In some ways, like having a party isn't the problem, but having a party without God in mind makes it godless. And in his arrogance, he thinks he can do whatever he wants. And God intervenes. He interrupts, and he's going to number Belshazzar's days. Verse 18. We're just amidst. We're not promised tomorrow. The only promise that we have is if God is going to give it to us. We're Christians. This is how we think. Verse 18. Okay. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, and remind you, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Your father didn't make it. God gave it to him. 
And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he, whom he would, he would kill, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. He had great authority. But that authority came from God. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, arrogantly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. And look what he says. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys and, his and he was fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. Verse 22. And you, his son, you saw it. You got to see God's hand put on display. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. You have witnessed the sovereignty of God over man's will and plans. And yet you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have chosen to live life godlessly. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, your prophets, which do not see or hear or know. And his concluding remark, consider. You have recognized them rather than the God whose hand is your breath. The God in whose hand is your breath. Why do you breathe right now? As Christians, by the will of God. As you think, like, these are ancient stories, present realities. In it's not just Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or James or Paul. We breathe because God has allowed us to breathe within his creation. And so when we think about the days ahead of us of 2023, we ought to be the most humble people that recognize that the hands at which we can do whatever we plan to do with them will only accomplish them if the Lord wills it, allows it. And we're humble in the regard that we have a right perspective of ourselves. I don't keep myself alive. Rather, you've honored the bronze and gold, silver and the stone and the wood, rather than the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways. You have not honored. James 4. 
There is a perspective that we can have of 2023 which makes plans set before us without God in mind. And James says, that's arrogant. Two, that's evil. John even talks about this. 1 John 2.16. And he says, like, this is how the world thinks. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like, I, I make myself. I determine my destiny. And I say all this knowing, like, God doesn't have a problem with the plans. As I've already said, He has a problem with you making the plans without Him. James 4.16 says, As it is, this, or you who do this, boast in arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Our convictional response. It's a good thing to consider these things on the first day of the year. And to humble ourselves, like some of us, my mind 2020 comes into mind, like we did not know what was destined for us during the COVID. It like redirect, repurposed a lot of things for us, even the way that we fellowship with one another. But even then, we have a God who has established it, that we can hope in. And God did mighty wonders through those seasons. And He still does. And as you think about the days ahead of you, and even as a church, as the elders, they come down and we say, okay, this is what we want to do in the next year. Like, we can err in making those plans godlessly. The sentence should always start, if God so wills, we will do such and such. And that's exactly what James 4.15, as Christians, he aligns us to the right perspective. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, the sovereign one, if he wills, we will live. We will live and do this or that. For we find our being and our existence within him. And every day which is set before us has been given to us as a gift who establishes it. This doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of confidence. The God who is good and true has established the destiny set before us. And for us, whether you're in college or you're in senior or whether you're at the same place that you're going to be as you were last year, like there is such a confidence that an individual can have when they know that God will direct their paths. If we might say, Lord, if you will, let us go here. But if you don't, shut the door. Because I do not want to go anywhere where you have not let. And so we'll make plans. We're going to plan on church planning. We're going to plan on doing some other activities as a church and continue to grow as a community. We're going to plan on establishing more small groups and encouraging one another in those regards. We'll make those plans. But on the front end of that subject is if the Lord wills. One thing that I like to conclude with is the perspective of Job. And you remember who Job is. Rich man. 
wonderful family. He has a big family. And the Lord says to the Satan, have you considered my righteous one? Satan says, well, he loves you because you've given him everything. Take it away and he'll curse you. And in the night, he loses all of it. Resources, his children, it's just him and his wife. The Lord turns back to Satan and says, have you considered my righteous man? Job, Satan responds and says, well, you've still allowed him to have good health. Take that away and he'll curse you. Job had a perspective of God. That whatever God has allowed him to have, it was a gift from God. And because he was sovereign, God was able to give it and take it away. If the Lord wills. And as he's cursed in his flesh and lost all of his resources and wealth, his wife comes along in chapter 2, verse 9, and said... Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. She's a great encourager. And he said to her, You speak as of one of the foolish women. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? If God so wills adversity... Then should we not accept it or evil? And that last line, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Why? His life was God's. And God could use it for however he wanted. And in that, he was content to say, if the Lord so wills. And in that, he lived the standard which sat before him as the image which God had created him to be. Reliance. Plan ahead. But keep the subject. If the Lord wills, we will do such and such. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we have one life.